0: And uh, Bill has agreed to come and share his story with us. He's celebrating a big anniversary. Congratulations. And uh, take it away whenever you're ready. Wow. Okay, I'm Bill an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, an anniversary, which somehow I wonder how I arrived at it. But anyway, yeah, I wandered in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, in the year of 1984, and the first meeting I went to was a God-based meeting, and I was, you know, I didn't realize it at the time because I was early, and I read this, the uh, the window shades, you know, when they were talking about God and both of them, and so I read, I read the traditions and the steps twice, and I counted how many times it got in there, and I almost left, and you know, I decided to stay because I came by because I wanted to find out how to stop thinking. I didn't know how to do it on my own. I wasn't. I tried it one more time. And it, it it wasn't like, oh, shit, I drank again. It was like, it registered different. It was like I, I got scared for some reason. I didn't know why. And I found out years later why. Once I find out why I was drinking in the first place, which takes a long time if you don't have a sponsor, this stuff happens to you eventually. But I stayed, and the first thing I did is you know, I had drank for a couple of weeks, and I thought, you know, that'd be a polite thing to do. So that's that's what I did. And uh, they got around to asking me who I was because they never saw me before. I told them I was a newcomer and on some, somebody already said, you know, they repeated the mantra, I am an alcoholic. So I did the same thing. I thought that's what you did. And I never questioned it. I just I just did it because that's seems what we're supposed to do. So I told them I didn't believe in God and I guess the race was on about saving me after that. But... Uh they did they offered me the best sobriety they knew how to do. and They did it with God and it wasn't working for me. It was always like I was looking in the window, but I was willing to learn. So I I, I paid attention, I did some stuff, and they kept asking me, you know, how far are you on the steps? So I didn't I didn't know what the hell they're talking about because I read those things, but I didn't know what they meant. So uh after a bit, I was getting kind of subconscious about that thing. Uh, and they, I asked a guy that was in the fellowship, you know, to, the, you know, he'd be my sponsor. And all we did was go to men's stag meetings. And that's, that's not what I asked him for because I was, I was struggling after I got a big book. I read the thing and I was, the more I read it, the more confused I got with the steps. I didn't know what, the, I didn't know what they wanted because it was like you were words that didn't have any meaning to me. So, uh, the lady that had the director in her, in her purse when I was asking about, out of um, asking about alcoholics anonymous. Uh she went to the the Cabina club, which the, at the time used to call it the 502 club. And so I went there three times and there was a guy who was a circuit speaker and I heard him speak a couple of times and uh he was her ex-husband's sponsor. And so I asked him if he could it. I figured maybe between the two of us we'd get this thing over with and I wouldn't be asked about, you know, where I am with the steps anymore. So about a year, I finally got all that done. And I didn't do the steps like you're supposed to. Uh, I did the best I could. And it was didn't resolve anything, but I did. I, I understood a little bit more what sobriety meant and what you're supposed to do. You know, what are you supposed to start working on? So I, it wasn't just a waste of time, but it, it wasn't the right thing. If you're, you know, working the steps. And I, I did that in the 5th the in his backyard. That was about 38 years ago. And I haven't had a sponsor since. I, I just, I don't know. You, you tell me to do something, you know, I ain't doing it. That's, that's, not, that's not being very cooperative. But anyway, I stayed, and they quit asking me about it. And they you know they were asking me, you know well, you've got a higher power, I still don't have a higher power. I come to all colleagues and I'm, who's the best I can do for it you know and i and I share a lot of stuff more now than I did in the beginning because I was you know there was no mention of a a plan B like a secular meeting. nobody said anything. there was no closet atheists there, and so why should they talk about it so i I didn't know. So I kept going to meetings, and I was just like I do now. I go to a lot of meetings. Then I, I go to a lot of meetings now. Okay, now I'm getting sober. I'm not drinking anymore. And I'm still doing the stuff I did when I used to drink at it. And it dawned on me that uh, I, I was involved in a lot of uh, gun-related things. I belonged to five different gun-related programs, and three of them are shooting programs. And I did a lot of that. And I was doing that in sobriety and it wasn't working anymore. I used to drink on myself a lot. I mean, you know, I was, I was okay after that, but I wasn't getting the okay part. And so it dawned on me that I could, you know, i have got to stop shooting. And all of a sudden it crossed my mind, you know, I'm not going to have to stop that. I got to, I have to get rid of all the guns and stuff. But I didn't want to do that. And that took me about a year and a half taking that the meetings and discussing it with myself while I'm walking. And so one day I asked the question one more time, you know, why do I want to get rid of the guns? And I heard a voice inside of me and said, it's, it's time. And I acted on it. So the next, I was still a dealer. I still sold guns into gun shows and that kind of stuff. And so I just started taking my collection down and, and they went, the first gun show, they were gone bang! just that's a lot of money. Now, I was on the program about maybe, I just guessed, maybe five months. And my wife says she went out of a 19 year marriage. And I, I thought, you know, I asked her, "Is there any way to save it?" And she says, "No," and then she told me what the the new guy and her plans were going to be, and, uh, and and basically what they were going to. I wouldn't have to pay child support because they're taking the kids out of country, and I wouldn't have to pay Alan money because this guy's going to marry her. And his suggestion from a guy who went to college, so I can't knock people that go to college. After that, just quickly the house over to him. You know, they're going to give me the whole thing. And I'm left with a mortgage, and so what? And I, I didn't know what to do with that. And the girl that, that gave me that directory, uh, I told her that. And she says, Holy shit, you realize you got a job? You're living in a house? You know, and you're going to be a married? You know, the women from the 502 are going to find out about that. They're going to be camping in your front yard. That scared the crap out of me because I was always afraid of girls, women. Even when I was a little kid, afraid of girls, you know. And I didn't like guys. I had no interest in sports, so I was pretty much a lonely kid in a school full of children that tend to be interested in each other. So that bothered me. But anyway, before the year was up, before I had my first birthday in the program, the wife said the thing was going to work for her. She wasn't going to, you know. If I wanted to divorce, I still you know, like if I wanted it, you know, I'd have to do the thing, and, and I didn't think I would be a good idea, because my father had a divorce, and I remember what that amounted to. So I didn't want to do what he was doing, and I didn't have nearly as much money as he had. So I just said, no, it's a state marriage. And that was that was a long time ago. And we did that. And after I reached my first birthday, we redid the nuptials at the Port of Call, which is in a little church, which no, this is, was actually real, I guess. I guess the guy was preacher or something, but anyway, so we did that. And that that's also the, the same day that no, my wedding anniversary and my sobriety date are the same day. It wasn't the same day as the other thing we did because you know, I was, was kind of close to it. So, we stayed married all these years, and I've thought about this, you know, and I, I, I sort of went back in my, my, my 40 years on this program she stuck with me the 20 years I was drinking. You know, she she hung out with me with a year before we got married. You know, and, and she tolerated all the nonsense of sobriety and all that kind of stuff and all the meetings I went to and all the crazy things I was doing while I wasn't going to meetings. You know, she still stayed. She didn't, she didn't run away. And I thought that was pretty noble for a person that was going to walk away from the marriage. Now the kids, they're senior citizens you know my wife is 78 years old now i i turned 80 last year and i'm 80 and a half now and all this you know i keep thinking back. you know all of, i i came in that one winter evening back in january in 1984 and that was just because i wanted to find out you know, how to stop drinking and because i did that all this other stuff happens uh because that's like 40 years a lot of stuff Takes place in 40 years. Uh, and in 2000, she had a heart attack. That was that was November the 5th. And that was an ongoing thing. And, and it was, it took a whole day long for us to finally get to doctors that were serious about heart attacks. Uh, we walked into a regional hospital, and after 45 minutes and approaching the desk three times, and my wife was having a heart attack, nobody listened. So my wife says, "Let's just go home, so we did that, and before the evening is with over with you know it was really acting up on her, so I called the first responders it seemed like they were there before I get down to the second floor you know adrenaline changes the concept of time. All these guys show up in the front room, open up the double doors and they put their gurney in there and anyway, I shut down the house and then uh i I follow the fireman out as they were leaving, or going to a hospital. Not the hospital she went to before. She went to the, uh, uh, the County Hospital in San Bernardino, which is a much smaller hospital. So she was in there. And then she was in the emergency room, and she had that heart attack that kills 90 out of 100 people. That's what she was talking about. And then the first time I saw the doctor, that, that was, well, Working on her. You know, he slammed the door open and he kept repeating to himself, he said three times, Your wife shouldn't be alive, you know, like you're disappointed or something. And so she didn't die. That's 23 years ago. You know, and at that time, I had walked away from the program because I had issues I was dealing with. We were living in the mountains, that house that we bought. When I sold off all the guns and stuff, it was a weekend thing. And then that was a magical thing. All of us like going up there. I used to take a guy from the Alondo club with me. Yeah. And, you know, he would just stand on the deck and look at the trees. You know, he's just, I don't know, what his, where his mind was. You know, and, and I'd, be, I'd be going for a walk. I did a hell of a lot of walking up in the mountains. I brought off a lot of anxiety through the soles of my shoes. That's the only thing I had because I couldn't drink anything anymore. So still had problems. So anyway, we lived up there for 10 years and I had really Mickey Mouse jobs. I guess I was learning humility, I suppose. uh, Because we walked away uh, from the house that we had in Alhambra because our kid got out of jail three years too soon. They sentenced uh, him three years and three months and when he turned 18, they let him go. And I do not get on the why the court system did that for the kid, but he was dealing with the Southern Pacific Railroad and that had a lot to do with it because they had a hard one against the SP. We're not going to let the kids stay down in this house anymore. So we'll decide to just move in, just pack everything up. And, and just like any alcoholic, you do a geographic, but we did this in sobriety. So I walked away from the family business and she stopped the practice she was working at. And then the kids and all that stuff moved up to the mountains. And the oldest kid was already out of jail. He was 18, so he didn't have to go to school. The youngest kid finished his school up there in a big school system. So I lived up there for those 10 years. and, And like I said, the seven years I drove to the job I found in Ontario was 74 miles away. That's that's a lot of mountain driving. That's that's 80 miles a day at mountain driving. In in one direction, it's it's 250 curves. I counted a whole bunch of times because you can't get radio up here. You start inventing things to do. So 250 curves, you know. Yeah, and it started me thinking of why <clears throat> why people are losing control of the cars because the street's not straight anywhere. If you take your eyes off the street, you're running into something or off the edge of the road. And you see the special little marks they make. And you and after a while you'd figure it out. You see the whole picture. It's it very frightening. But we left up there and I joined the uh the Alana Club up there. Well, it's not even a club, it was just where we met. But I was part of that thing, and I was I got on the board and I you know, I never went to uh to a steering committee meeting. I was so whole I was on it, but when I got the job off the mountain, all that mountain stuff had to stop because that job was so far away. It's four hours a day. taking out of your life. So I was off the road again. And the road is, you know, there's, there's like three ways to get up there and down and the fire road. So I used to go, because I had a four-wheel drive car, I'd just go off, you know, screw it up traffic. I'd go down the fire roads until they, they caught me doing it. And they started filling up all the fire roads with, loads of dirt, so I couldn't get over that thing. So I had to get in line like everybody else. But it was a magical time. That was a good thing that we did. And and it was a good thing that I walked away from the thing that took me away from the family. You know, the the drinking, that that was a take me away from the family thing, too. And I spent most of my time at home. I did most of my drinking by myself, but it was mostly done inside the garage. That's where I had a little machine shop, and I laid out leaded glass windows. I did all kinds of crazy stuff in there. But I wasn't working a marriage. So I think back about it. Everything changed after I got sober. You started doing adult stuff. Like I told you, I got rid of the guns and things. Uh, And I walked away from the family business. These are things that I, at, at sobriety, allowed me to do, that I couldn't do when I was drinking. And the old man was pissed off because he was on his way up to Oregon to buy more apartment buildings. So I walked away from the family business. I, I you know, I was I was spending quality time with my dad, pulling chips on his machine when I was eight years old. And when I left that place when I was 43, I think. And I never went back as an employee. I'd go back once in a while to visit him. But you know, my old man remarried. And he had another family. and you know, He was gone. And, and both my sisters and myself realized that when we were little kids, they'd throw us under the bus because they didn't have a real marriage. They fought and carried on like crazy. But nobody drank in that family. I often wonder if they drank would have been better. I don't know. But they didn't. And my mother while wound up. Over the years of this mental abuse, she wound up having a nervous breakdown. And then the, the, the three kids, we all developed problems of our own. Uh, my sister is five years younger than me. She had her first kid at 15, and the second was at 16. I don't even know about sex yet. You know, she was five years younger than me. I was such a retarded person. That's the thing that kind of bothers me. You know, they sent me to school, and I I was struggling with learning, and nobody sat down to figure out what was wrong with little kid, you now Billy, and they just kept. You know, their solution was to hold me back a, a half of a semester in grammar school, and they did it again in junior high. So it took me thirteen years to get out of high school that I absolutely got nothing out of. Thirteen years of watching a stupid clock go around. So that's the and you know, I say, you know, I drank because I was incredibly boring. That's that's, I you know, made it okay to be boring, and that's why I think about now. You know, if they gave me hydrocodone when I had a cracked tooth, you know, and I, I realized that the drink, the reason I drank it was, was because of the ease and comfort, and I got that from those stupid pills. And I never got addicted to them. I never took them any longer than I was supposed to, but. I'm afraid of stuff that, that that will allow you to have ease and comfort. If there's a trigger, that's got to be it for me. I don't drink anything that looks like beer. Uh, you know, even though it has alcohol in it or not, I just I just don't do it. I it just I, it doesn't appeal to me, so I don't I don't go there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure dragging around about saying nothing. Um, i I finished my career down there at in manufacturing. I was a machinist. They gave me an entire department for myself. I was just a card employee I wasn't a supervisor nothing but yet uh they asked me about some of the people that I worked with because i was I worked with a lot of the temporary tools people and i I gave them ten different names and I hired all ten of them and as far as I know uh they stayed there until I was gone the two girls i I, I had hired since uh I worked with those for, for quite a while. And we we had a we a really, really good department. And I didn't know how good it was until they put the computer terminals in all of our departments. They wanted to know what we're doing with our time. And I spent most of my time sitting in my house watching somebody else work. Because I I had I've got a layout out, I'd have like a panic attack. And I'd had to take those things and break it down to every small little piece that I could. And then I was so careful in what I was doing. There was there was some mistakes, they were worked out before I actually turned the machine on. And the machines ran, and my girls are smart enough to started learning how to check their parts. So we didn't we didn't make any bad parts. But I found out when they they, you know, they started tabulating the information that we're giving them and our in our, room, our computers they gave us. uh um, the they were trying to get the entire company to think. They come up to 60% efficiency. Then uh, my department and one across the street, which did the same thing, but they were using uh, numerical control machines. And I was using machines that were made in the 60s. Uh, we we're running 80% efficiency and we didn't make any bad parts because my girls were so sharp they, they knew when something was not right. They'd act on it. That did that for 20 years. And I don't know. Uh, I you know, I, I left the company because you know I referred to the company that was taking advantage of us. And I always put that down as safe sex. And I got tired of it. And I left them 26 years to 19 days later. And I, I thought about that. Did I miss it? I don't know. I had a hell of a resentment. But then I had stopped going to meetings because I had stopped when I was living in Big Bear. Uh, For 22 years, I didn't go to meetings. And the only reason I I came back to it is because I got suicidal after I moved here to Las Vegas. We had all kinds of stuff happening. I almost died. She almost died. And that didn't do it. It was just like, all of a sudden, I was in a different town. I had no friends. I was living in in the front room of my son's house. Against two people that were hostile against us, anyway, for some reason that turned into depression. And you know, I got started really entertaining suicide because I was sort of a half-ass engineer. I'm not trained for it, but all the stuff I did, you just learn how to do that kind of stuff, and you start thinking that way. So I researched my problem. I, I made it to where it was flawless, and I just, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm not going to kill myself today. I, I'll do something before, you know. So I kept pushing off the, the thing, and I, I finally got myself on the other side of it. But I didn't want to think like that anymore. So I found out that our insurance company does pay for a psychiatrist help. So I got on, I, I made some phone calls, and I got past the gamekeeper, and they, they gave me a psychiatrist, and I started going to him. My sessions were $30, 45 minutes. And I got to the AA part of my story, which took a couple, maybe three months. And he wanted to know why I didn't go to, go back to meetings. And I told him I didn't have a real, I don't know, embarrassment. And he says, well, you just moved here. They don't know where you came from. They don't know anything about you. Just go to meetings. So I took a suggestion and I did that. And it was the same meetings I'd walked away from. I didn't expect it to be any different. So I was surprised, but I, you know, there was like they do cakes on the last Thursday of the month, and I, I don't know if it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, but it was, uh, you know, it was my birthday, and I, and I was there on Thursday, and they were giving out two cakes, and I thought about that. And I didn't tell them about my sobriety because I was, I got to tell them the stupid story I got between my ears, <clears throat> so. I went there for about a year, maybe a year and a half, whatever it was. I, I, somebody uh, mentioned they went to a secular meeting, and I found out where it was, and that's why I went to my first secular meeting. I was so, I was sober, about not working a program for 33 years at that point. Now, I also found out that there was five people in that Alana Club, which they called the 51 Club. Uh, they went out. They had three decades, each various lengths. And two of the people, actually, I talked to them. And uh, one guy uh, went out after I, I went to the club. And I, I don't know why, but they both did it on the pills. I don't know what the other three people. I don't know if I've ever met, met them. I just don't know. But that enforced me the fact that, okay, yeah, I got 30 years of survive. That doesn't make me any more likely to die as sober as anybody else that doesn't die sober. I'm not bulletproof. And I'm not working any kind of a program. So I stayed there for a while, and I, I was learning the program all over again through them, listening to the people, learning the people's names. And so my 40th birthday came up, one day at a time, pretty soon. It's, it's like seven years later. I went back to a meeting about maybe three, four weeks ago to that meeting. It was I recognized probably five or six people in there. They didn't recognize me. At least they didn't act like they knew me. And we we're elbow to elbow. There's about 40 people in there. Nobody's wearing a mask. And the reason I want to go back, I want to tell them my story because it's important to me. I thought it might be interesting to them. And I, I still got a chance to do that. I guess maybe I could do it sometime in the afternoon. I don't know. That's that's still up for, for 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 a decision. But and you know, I, I kept thinking about all the stuff that, that's happened at sobriety and all the things, the, the thing that we did. You know, I, I've never been on airplanes. So I've never really been on a vacation. because all I ever did was work. That's all I knew how to do. So I don't know how to really enjoy life. I've never been to a concert. I've never been to any kind of a, I just I haven't been anywhere. The only thing I had was, was the thing I used to do, with, I did it with rifles. And I didn't do that anymore. And I haven't, I haven't fired a gun except one time in 40 years, pretty much. And I don't know. For something that was so important to me, it just all of a sudden, it was just not important. It's like as if I had a moment of clarity or something. And I've been back to it. And I was slightly older than the rest of the people that, that I used to shoot with. And I think there's only one left that's still alive. And I'm not talking to him, although I have his phone number. But, oh, gosh. You know, I probably got closer to being on the program here in Las Vegas and because of Zoom than I ever was before. I used to go to a lot of different clubhouses. I spent a lot of time in the middle of the night, stuff I never did while I was drinking. Now I do it in sobriety. because of the stupid hours I had at where I worked, you know, I was there at four o'clock in the morning, every morning for 20 years. You know, and I started thinking, you know, I've I've thought about all the amends I could do, the people that I knew. Uh, I remember the big one was, uh, you know, told the old man the shit that I stole from the family business. You know, and that was kind of embarrassing for both of us. And I thought back about it years after that. You know, basically, I cleaned up my side of the street. And he didn't do anything. You know, I just, he felt embarrassed. That's about all I felt out of it. So, why is that important? Uh, I found out quite by accident. My father said something to me in my first year of sobriety. I don't know how long I was sober. He says, Billy, I'm glad you stopped drinking. He didn't refer. He didn't. So that was the end of the conversation. And I found out after he died, and he's been dead 23 years now, uh, that his brother died from alcoholism in 1981, but I don't know the month or the date. And I got sober in '84. So it was like a three-year window. And he kept all this, he kept this, this knowledge to the grave. He never talked about it ever again. My mother never said anything about it, never commented about my sobriety. So I don't know these people grew up, and they survived the depression, maybe that's all that's the way they are. I don't know, but yeah, what makes it sad. I'm not even on the board before the baby boomers, so I'm not even part of that group. I just literally I'm kind of a classless kind of person that still exists now, okay, so now I had that birthday. Uh, I, I I counted days off at a time for about four months, and I thought when I finally finished with this thing, I'm never going to talk about it again until maybe I might say something, the next one. But but I turned eighty last year. That was different. I've had lots of birthdays, but eighty was like a different birthday. I can't explain it. Uh, a lot of people die in their 80s. Is that what it's about? You know, life's finally getting real. I don't know. But I talk myself in, okay, oh, and okay, now I got 40 years. I'm going to try for 50. And that's where I left it. Because I got tired of driving myself crazy thinking about my brutality. And somehow that makes a difference. So, you know, in 10 years, we'll have this conversation again, I guess. But. Yeah, I keep thinking. I I don't know where I had been. I don't know, uh, you know, if I'd stayed with the company. My father died 23 years ago. He had a stroke. And my sisters and myself, we decided to give the the company to our stepmom because she wanted it because she got everything else. And so we did. And she can't get rid of the buildings because of environmental issues that she didn't seem to understand. And we didn't include her into it. Yeah, and I, I have a friend that still lives in the area, and I was talking to him about a month ago, and he says they finally put a for sale sign on the buildings. <laughs> I don't know. I think that was a good idea, walk away from that place. But I, you know, if I hadn't have walked away from the shop when I did, I'd be still down there in East Los Angeles. And I, can't, I couldn't think of a worse possible outcome for a person's life. So they got me free from that. I got free from alcohol. I got a whole bunch of stuff I got away with when I stopped drinking. God, it allowed me to do stuff. Sure, we did a lot of stuff, you know, as adults. You know, we got crazy. We had a whole bunch of Mercedes cities benzes we had for a while, you know, until we decided, you know, they're so high profile, it's maybe not to be a good idea to drive those things through the city of San Bernardino because somebody's allowed to follow us home. So we don't do that anymore. But just the two of us, you know, we've had this little kind business I, I call marriage. And we've done a lot of stuff with it. We tolerated the kids, all the crazy stuff they had. And it's, I just can't get past it, you know. sobriety equals one life. And we got two of them out of it. My wife's still hanging around with me, which is absolutely, if there's any miracles, that's got to be one of them. It's just, I don't know, know, I I, I struggle for words to describe what what's happened. And we haven't done anything spectacular. Uh, We came and bought, we paid cash for this house because my father taught me into buying a mutual fund my senior year in high school. And that was a down payment for our first house. And we, we pyramided that thing to where we're living now in an upscale neighborhood. Yeah, we got to be the forest people in the whole damp thing, but whatever it is, you know, people talk to us and we keep the yard up and we keep the flowers going and we, you know, we water our rocks because we don't have grass. So it's just, we do adult stuff. And I didn't do, you know, I was, I thought I was doing a stuff, you know, I was drinking like an adult, I guess. But, geez, it's just like I'm running out of things to, talk about and our kid i couldn't keep out of jail the one that the reason we moved for uh he's now a grandfather uh we satisfied some of the records of his past he had an outstanding warrant for arrest felony arrest for him he was on the books for 33 years and went to california and we straightened all that out he went to jail for two months now that's over with, so he doesn't have to worry about carrying a gun and going to California like he does. I don't know. That's you know, funny. You know, I got rid of the guns. I, I didn't buy any more. I was finished with those things. I remember I used to have guns. I have all kinds of that stuff. And guns used to take me places I shouldn't go. I wouldn't have gone if I didn't have a gun. I guess. I don't know. Maybe you can draw some common sense in this. But Anyway, I'm just rattling on, and pretty soon I got to wake you guys all up. So I guess that's 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 it. I suppose uh, I've I've learned to try to share. I don't know a lot of words. My vocabulary was never developed very well, and it takes me a long time to describe something because I don't know how how to do it. So anyway, here I am, sober. And I'm not the guy you got to worry about on the freeway anymore. So thanks for listening to me.